0: Many, many of you know Pastor Steve Mathewson very, very well. He spent a very long time pastoring in the Gallatin Valley community. He left several years ago. And just so you know, the Gallatin Valley church community is worse off With Steve gone than we were when he was here, we miss him dearly, but we're so delighted that he's serving God on the shores of Lake Michigan in Chicago, leading and pastoring a fantastic church there. And every once in a while, Steve comes back because he wants to fish our blue ribbon trout streams. It's in his blood. And when he comes back, he always says, Brian, I would love to be with the Journey Church family. And I say, every time I can say yes, I say, we would love to have you, Steve. And so Steve's with us here today. And so, Steve, would you please take the stage and the Journey Church family and community, would you please welcome Steve very warmly. Give him your very best attention, your very best ear as Steve opens the Word of God today and teaches us. I love you all. I look forward to seeing you soon. Have a fantastic weekend. And Steve, thank you again for being here.
1: Well, good morning, Journey. It's great to be here and great to see what God is doing in in this church and, and in the valley. Uh, we are uh, beginning a week of vacation. I was uh, teaching last week at Denver Seminary, and we figured out we had one week this summer where we could take vacation, and that's because uh, we still have a high schooler. Our youngest, Luke, is going to be a junior, and uh, our life revolves around his schedule, and because he uh, plays uh, high school basketball and football... In in the Chicago area, I mean, that is is such a big deal. And uh, basically, he has one week off this summer. Uh, As soon as school was done, he went into basketball camp. And and that's just a cover for extra practice. And then he went from there to football camp, which is another cover for uh, practice. And he just finished that last Friday. And uh, he has the next week off, and then he'll go back and into the real football practice. So uh, this is our only shot for a, a family vacation uh, so we, uh, uh, Priscilla and Luke flew into Denver, joined me Friday and we made the drive here and we'll head to Idaho uh, to be with my wife's, wife's folks, but it's, uh, it's great to stop and and be here and, and Brian asked me if I could share uh, this weekend and I felt kind of honored because I've actually gotten to speak at Journey uh, two different months, uh, that would be uh, last night and, and then today. So I, I wrapped <laughs> up August and uh, or, or July and started August today. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just great to be with you. Uh, a while ago, I was reading a, a fascinating story about a, a Mexican artist by the name of Frida Kahlo. Uh, Frida Kahlo died in 1954, but uh, her life was really marked by pain and, and tragedy. Uh, she had uh, polio, uh, ended up with a broken spine, and many of her years of life were lived in chronic pain, and that pain just got worse as she got older. But a few months before she died, she finished a painting. And I'm fascinated with her painting because it's, it's simply uh, watermelons. And what can you do with a few watermelons? Well, she painted this oil still life. And at the, the bottom of that painting, in, in one of the watermelons, she carved in the phrase, the Spanish phrase, Viva la Vida, uh, which uh, roughly translated into English means long live life. And I thought that was fascinating. I mean, here is a woman who is is suffering from chronic pain, and she's about ready to die, but she says, I want to live, you know, long live life. And really, isn't that our cry? It's interesting that uh, a few years ago, uh, a musician by the name of Chris Martin, a lead singer for Coldplay, Uh, saw this painting and he was so struck by it that he wrote uh, the the song that I I think a couple of years ago uh, won some uh, Grammys, uh, heard it on the the radio yesterday, Viva La Vida. And he he wrote that because he was so inspired by this painting. And I think this painting and that uh, that phrase really captures our desire to live uh, forever. But you know the problem as uh, you look around this morning. I mean, I, I hate to, uh, to uh, point out the bad news, but we are dead people walking, aren't we? And every last one of us is, is going to die. And yet we cry out, Viva la vida, long live life. I, I want to live. And there's something in us and in the way that, that we are made that, uh, that says, I, I want to live forever. That, that's really uh, what I'm made for, that's my longing. And yet all of us face death. But I want to talk this morning about some good news, the good news that uh, we read in Scripture. And that is that, uh, that one day, uh, you and I, if we are in Christ, that we can look forward to uh, living again because uh, the Bible talks about resurrection. And this morning, I'd like to uh, spend some time in a, in a wonderful letter that uh, a church leader by the name of Paul wrote to an ancient church in Rome. And as he's writing this letter, though, God's Spirit is working and he ends up uh, writing what what becomes part of Scripture. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul has uh, some things to say about resurrection and about the impact that makes on our lives, and in fact, how resurrection changes everything. Uh, Romans chapter 8, let me start by reading verses 10 and 11, so you can turn there in your Bibles or just follow this on the screens. But in Romans 8, 10 and 11, Paul says this. He says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, and and here comes the good news. It said he will also give life to your mortal bodies, And that's talking about resurrection. He will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So that is a fantastic promise and an encouragement that if you belong to Christ, if you are connected to him, that you will be raised to life just like Jesus was. He was the first person to be raised from death. And the Bible says that he's the first fruits. He's just the beginning of many, many people who will be raised. And if you are connected to Christ, that is your destiny. And as you may be able to tell, I, I haven't gotten over Easter this year. I know Easter is uh, several weeks in the rearview mirror, but I don't know for some reason this year I was just captured by by Easter and resurrection. And sometimes that's the the, the only time when we talk about the resurrection, but. Uh, I've been uh, reading and thinking and studying about resurrection since then because it is it is so central to who we are as Christ followers. And I want to think this morning with you about the resurrection. And I want to answer a couple of questions. And the second one is where, where we're really aiming this morning. But the first question: uh, what well, we have to be clear on this. And the first question is: what exactly is this resurrection? Uh, Jesus was raised, uh, we will be raised from death, but what exactly is that? And once we nail that down, once we understand that, then the second question has to do with with the changes that that makes, and we want to ask, what exactly does the resurrection change? Why get so excited about it? And so we're going to look at those questions this morning. So first of all, what exactly is the resurrection? Uh, Paul talked about that here. He said that, uh, that uh, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will do the same for you. He's going to give life to your mortal bodies. Uh, you and I will be raised. It's interesting that he uses a word picture, or, or every time you see the word resurrection in the New Testament, it's a really fascinating word picture. I like to remind people that when the Bible was written, it wasn't written in English, but uh, the Old Testament part of the Bible was written primarily in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And in the, the Greek language, the word resurrection is a picture word that means standing up. And I love that. Uh, the, the idea of a, of a body standing up and, and coming back to life. And that's what resurrection is. Uh, resurrection is being raised to life in bodies that will never decay and that will never die. Now, bodies that are, are just like Jesus' body is. And I have to admit, I, I don't know all that that means. Bible doesn't give us all the details. But you think about Jesus being raised. I mean, we we know that in his resurrected body he passed through doors, and I, I wonder if we won't be able to do that or some other cool things like that, but at least to know now that, that we'll have bodies that won't die or decay. So that's what resurrection is. However, there's a lot of confusion in our culture about resurrection, so we had to take just a couple of minutes and, and identify what the resurrection is not. Uh, because there are some uh, rather strange ideas about what happens when we die. So very, very quickly, four uh, things that resurrection is not. Uh, number one, it is not annihilation. And some people that I talk to believe that when we die, that is it. Uh, we are, we're through, we're, we're finished, there's no more existence. Uh, this life is all there is. And the Bible doesn't teach that, doesn't teach annihilation. Nor does the Bible teach reincarnation. Resurrection is not reincarnation. But a lot of people, when they hear resurrection, they confuse the two. And the area that I live in in Chicago's North Shore, there are a lot of people who are are Buddhist or Hindu and they believe in reincarnation. That when you die, that you come back as an aunt or an actress or whatever. And you are in this unending cycle where you die and you come back to life and you die and come back to life and, and eventually the karma is balanced and you reach the state of nirvana which is, uh, uh, which is really not that exciting. It's uh, uh, the state where all desire is gone. I mean, how fun would that be? And uh, it doesn't sound much better than, than annihilation, does it? And, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, resurrection is not reincarnation. I think there's something else we have to understand, that resurrection is not disembodied existence. And I apologize for a, a kind of a couple of big words that are hard enough to pronounce. But the idea is that when we die, it's, it's not what the old Greek philosophers, uh, Socrates and Plato taught. They said when you die, the, the spirit or soul is released from uh, the prison house of the body. So they saw the body as a bad thing. And they thought the body was evil, which that's not what the Bible says. Uh, yes, we've all been infected by sin, but our bodies aren't inherently evil, and yet that's what Greek philosophers thought. And I find even today that a lot of people think, well, hey, when you die, you're you're, you're just a spirit who floats free from your body. And that's not at all what uh, what the Bible's talking about. Now, it's true that when we die, the Bible says... That uh, between our death and our resurrection, that uh, we go home to be with the Lord. And for a while then, we are going to be absent from our body. But it's a temporary thing. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it doesn't tell us much more than that. The Bible's clear, a couple of other places too, that makes it clear that when we die that we go home to be with the Lord. And I don't know what that's like exactly, except that we are in the presence of the Lord. It's a place of rest. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe we get temporary bodies in the meantime. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit like uh, when you you have a fender bender with your car and you uh, take it into the repair shop and you're given a rental. I don't know, maybe it works that way. Uh, Maybe it doesn't. But we know that one day, uh, one day that our remains—and I'm not trying to be gross here—but uh, our remains, whether uh, they've uh, been decaying for you know a few hundred or thousand years, or or whether they've been scattered over a, a mountainside somewhere—I don't know how God does it—but He He brings those together and He raises our bodies to life, so that we have these new bodies that don't die or decay. Uh, there's a fourth. Uh, thing that resurrection is not and that is it's it's not becoming an angel and sometimes I hear people talking about that especially if they've had a young child that's died and oh that the pain that that goes with that but some people say well you know my son or daughter they're they're an angel now and they're watching over me and as as comforting as that might seem it's simply not true There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that we become angels uh, when we die. Fact is, when we die, if we are in Christ, we go into his presence. Don't know exactly what that looks like. But we await that day when our bodies will be resurrected to life and we will have bodies that never die or decay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is the other passage to read on this if you want to fill in the gaps. And it makes that very clear that we get new bodies, glorified bodies, like Christ's. All right, so that's what resurrection is. It's, uh, it's this word that means standing up, and, and it describes uh, this day when we will be raised to life in bodies that will never die or decay. So that's Resurrection. All right, that brings us to the question we really want to zero in on today, and that is, uh, what exactly does the resurrection change? What does the resurrection change? Well, this morning I want you to see two ways, two massive changes that the resurrection makes. One is future, and one is, is right here, right now. So to begin with the first... We'll stay here in Romans 8, and I want to work uh, our way quickly through verses 18 through 25. And what we're going to see here is that first, uh, resurrection means that everything is going to be restored. And I love this. This is such a cool part of the Bible. Uh, Verse 8 of Romans 8 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So first of all, everything is going to be restored, and this is really the answer to suffering. And Paul says, our present suffering, and, and just stop there and, and think about the way that, that you might be suffering in your life. Maybe it's, it's some kind of physical illness, that's just ravishing your body. Uh, maybe you are suffering emotionally. Maybe you 've gone through a tough stretch in a relationship, uh, maybe you are battling a mental illness. I have several Christian friends that are and and they they love Christ and yet uh, they're they're suffering in this way. Paul says, whatever it is that you are are suffering he says that suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us, and that glory that will be revealed in us that's that comes when we are resurrected when we receive those resurrection bodies. It's interesting, he goes on and he talks about creation as, as longing to experience that same redemption. You see, in verse 19, uh, we, we read this that the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And there's another word picture there that uh, that expression. Uh, In verse 19, uh, wait in eager expectation. Uh, The idea of that word is somebody just straining their neck to see uh, what's coming. Creation waits for that. Now, verse 20 tells us why. It says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And let me stop there and say, I, I think that's referring to God. You know, God is completely good, but when this uh, when, when this world fell into sin, when the first human beings rebelled, God subjected creation to frustration. It wasn't creation's choice? But all of a sudden, now uh, a lot of bad things happen. I saw recently in the news, even in Chicago, it was big news. What happened when the tornado came through uh, Billings and and took off the the top of the metro, I think it was. Man, that's the world in which we live in. Uh, we, uh, we live, I think, in Chicago on, a, on, a, on an earthquake fault line, and, and we certainly did here in, in the Gallatin Valley. In fact, I remember a couple of those uh, small tremors, a couple small earthquakes. Uh, once I was uh, stopped, I was driving my truck, and, and, I, and I felt like I got rear-ended, and I looked in the mirror, and wow, that was weird. There was nobody there. And I found out later that, that there was a mild earthquake. I mean, even the weeds in your lawn or in your garden or in your pasture are are there because creation has been uh, subjected to frustration. I'm not so sure that those Arctic air fronts that come down and bring, uh, you know, 30, 40 degree below zero temperatures, I think that's got to be part of the fall as well. Because I just don't see any good in that. And certainly Chicago winters, I know that's part of the fall. Uh, because they're kind of gray and and gloomy. But that's the world in which we live, isn't it? That's creation. And yet, notice this at the end of verse 20, that that the one who subjected it, which I think was God, did it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. I think that's fascinating creation is going to be brought into our freedom, not that we're brought into creation's freedom. 22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Wow, I think that's a pretty bold metaphor for a man to use. Uh, Paul was the the writer of this, and yes, he's being inspired by God's Spirit, but uh, uh, that's a metaphor that a lot of you can identify with. I remember when our oldest child, Aaron was born. Uh, before she was born, we took the, the Lamaze class. And, and the only thing I remember about the Lamaze class, only one thing is that the nurse told us, she said, you husbands, you don't know what the pain is like, but if you want to uh, have, have a little sense, uh, take your two little fingers, put them in the corner of your mouth like this, and pull as hard as you can, or better yet, have your wife do that. And that's the only thing I remember from Lama's class, but that, that's a pretty vivid picture of, of what that pain is like. And Paul says, that's what creation is doing right now. It's, it's groaning under that kind of pain. But you know what? It's not only creation. It's me, and it's you. Because in verse 23, Paul says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Grown inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, which is then, he says, the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about resurrection. It's right there. You know, we can't wait for that to happen. For in this we hope, verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And what we're waiting for is that time when, when we will have our bodies raised to life, bodies that will never die, bodies that will never decay, and we will live on a restored earth. That way the, the Bible talks a lot about the new heaven and the new earth, that God is going to make everything new, and, and we need that encouragement because right now, even though we might cry out, Viva La Vida, long live life. Fact is, we really don't want to live long lives if it's going to be like this, do we? A while ago, I decided that because a lot of, uh, a lot of young folks in our community are, are reading all these vampire novels and going to vampire movies, that I, I better get up to speed on that. So I went in Barnes & Noble one day and I read Twilight. Actually, I read the first three chapters, and uh, kind of an good story, and and then um, I, I skimmed a little bit, and then I, I read the final two chapters, and it struck me that Twilight is is all about immortality, and in this story, these vampires have immortality, and one of them is a hundred plus year old vampire named Edward Cullen, but he's a high school student that that can work out, I guess, if you're a vampire a uh, hundred and some years old, it looks like he's uh, 16, looks like Zach Efron, I don't know uh, which character played him, but uh, I mean this guy is a hunk, and, and there's another vampire, or no, 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 she's not a vampire, not at that point yet, uh, but her name is Bella, and at the end of the story, and I suppose I should say spoiler alert, but hey, this thing's been out for a while now. We're we're several books and movies down the road. So if you haven't heard it, I'm sorry. No, plug your ears. But at the end of the story, Bella asks Edward for the gift of immortality, which we know that just that doesn't work that way in life. But but in the story, she asks for the gift of immortality, and he says no. And the reason for that, he says, you do not want immortality. You don't want to live forever in a world that is evil. And I thought, wow. Uh, you know, Stephanie Meyer, who's writing this, interesting to hear her worldview come through and to recognize that none of us want to live forever in a world that's, uh, that's marked by evil. I have a friend who, ha- who, who has a friend who's 90 years old. The guy who's 90 had a dad who lived to 104, and my friend said to the 90 year old, Hey, that's pretty cool. I bet you hope to be, uh, you know, alive and, and maybe past your dad. Maybe you could turn 105. And he goes, Oh, no, I hope I die in the next couple of years. And my friend goes, Whoa. He says, you got to understand, when my dad hit 100, he couldn't hear, he couldn't see, you know, he was in pain, it was miserable. We don't want to live forever in our current state, do we? in bodies that break down. You know what? The, the promise is that we're going to live forever, that we look forward to life in a restored earth, a new heaven and a new earth. By the way, when you read the Bible carefully, even 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, does not say that, that this world is going to be complete, completely destroyed. It's going to undergo destruction, but that destruction is really God remaking everything. So that you and I can live in a world that has been restored, a restored earth. That's why I sometimes tell people, and I, I don't mean to, uh, to shock people and to make them mad at me, but I sometimes tell people, I don't plan on living in heaven for eternity. Uh, of course not. I'm not going to live in heaven for eternity. Now, I'm going to go there when I die. But I'm going to live life on the the new earth that God is going to create. We were created for earthly existence, and we will have earthly existence after our resurrection. And that's so cool. That's what's so cool about this: that that all of the stuff that makes life so miserable is going to be gone. And Romans eight is getting at that. Revelation twenty one about verses four and five he gets at that. And I can't imagine how wonderful it will be to live life and not have to worry about cancer or car accidents or bad cholesterol or heart disease or divorce or broken relationships or people who betray you or depression. And all of the things that make life miserable. The promise is that uh, if we are in Christ... We're going to be raised to life and bodies that never die or decay, and we will live on that restored earth. But there's a second change that I want to talk about for just a couple of minutes this morning. Because what we've talked about so far has to do with, uh, with what's out there, with what's coming. But I want you to realize that that impacts the present And that a second thing that the resurrection changes is this, that secondly, your work on earth has significance. Now, we need to go for a moment to the end of the other great chapter in the New Testament on resurrection, and that's 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and after a whole chapter talking about resurrection, at the very end, this is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, In other words, based on everything I've told you about the resurrection. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I love that last line, not in vain. In other words, it's not going to be empty. And let's face it, sometimes in this life, when we're trying to serve Christ, and maybe you're trying to serve Christ through Journey Church, aren't there times when you say, you know, I'm just not sure that, that I'm really making a difference. I'm not sure that what I'm doing is really significant. It just seems kind of empty, and it seems like it really doesn't matter. And isn't that one of our greatest fears? just a few weeks ago, we had a storm. Uh, we, we had a tornado that wasn't too far from us, which is rare in Chicago's North Shore. Uh, but we did have a, a huge windstorm uh, when this tornado hit a few miles away. And and I came home one day, and this was during uh, work hours, I came home at work, and and here in our front yard, there was this huge branch that... that uh, I think it was the top of our oak tree that came crashing down, and, and the diameter of that thing was like this. I mean, this was huge. So I, I got my chainsaw out and savaged a little bit of uh, firewood, and then I still had this huge brush pile that was about 6 feet tall and probably uh, 10 or 12 feet wide. And I had heard that our community, Libertyville, which is uh, reminds me a lot of Bozeman, except unfortunately we don't have mountains, Uh, but Libertyville is a lot like Bozeman. And I had heard that the city of Libertyville, uh, when there were storms like this, that if you had branches that had come crashing down, that if you put this by the curb, that they would pick it up. And so I thought, great. And I spent two hours moving this brush pile uh, to the curb. And you say, well, why didn't uh, you you get your high school son to help? Well, he was in football camp, so I, I couldn't get his help. I moved this pile took me two hours. And, and this is in the Midwest where it's, it's really humid. And finally, I've got that thing done. And then it occurred to me, you know, maybe I should call the city and, and just make sure that everything is good. So I called the city of Libertyville, said, okay, I've heard that, that you'll cart away my brush pile. I've, I've moved it all to the curb just like you wanted. Uh, anything else I need to do and there was this really nice lady on the other end of the phone who said, "Well, I'm I'm sorry, we don't do that." And I said, "You what?" I said, "I just spent two hours moving this pile of of brush right to the, the end of of my you know, the end of my property right by the curbs." I said, "I'm sorry, uh, we don't do anything like that." And I think it took me about a day to get over that. I, I was so frustrated. But you know what? How about how about trying to get over years and decades of life of serving christ and saying you know what is this really going anywhere you know i've contributed all this money to what journey church is doing or or i've i've invested in trying to make my neighborhood a better place talked to a lady after first service today who is, is going back to school working on her master's because she wants to make an impact for christ in in the classroom and she said, Sometimes I wonder, is this really worth it? And that's why I love what Paul says. In light of the resurrection, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, he says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And by the way, it's not just talking about teaching Sunday school or serving on a a music team like the phenomenal team that we had up here this morning. Uh, That's part of it. But you know what? Even in your neighborhood and even in your place of business, trying to impact people's lives and to share with them the message of Christ, and sometimes don't don't we want to quit? Paul says, don't check out, because your work on earth has significance. All right, we're almost done this morning, but before we wrap up, I want to make sure that, that you are sure that you belong to Christ and that you'll be raised. I mean, how do you know this morning? How can you be sure that, that you belong to Christ? Because it's only those who are connected to Christ who, who have this future to look forward to and whose present perspective can totally be changed. So how can you be sure? Well, at the beginning of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul makes it very clear, and he says that it's through belief in the gospel. It's through belief in the gospel that you are connected to Christ. This is what he writes. He says, now, brothers, and he includes sisters there too, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel, a word that means good news, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. And he makes it very, very clear that that we are connected to Christ uh, through faith. Faith here, uh, as in other places in the New Testament, means trust or dependence. So when we believe on Christ, it's not just something that happens in our minds that we agree intellectually, but it's actually a commitment of our entire person. We depend on Christ. And when we do that, uh, we will experience this salvation. We'll we'll be raised to life. Now I want you to notice that this gospel that we believe on is, is the good news that Christ died and and that he rose on the third day. I'm not going to read this passage, but at home today, you read 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8, and you'll see there are two parts to the gospel. Number one, Christ was uh, was crucified, or he died for our sins. And number two, he was raised on the third day. Uh, both of those happened according to the scripture. Both of those were witnessed in history. Uh, the the witness to Christ's death was his burial, and the witness to Christ's resurrection were 500 people. Paul said when he wrote this letter, most of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. But they were people who saw Jesus after he was raised to life. And if it was one or two, we might say, well, they ate something wrong for breakfast or, or, or they, just, uh, they had some kind of a mental disease or, or they just uh, tend to see things. But when you've got over 500 people and some reputable people in that group, uh, you can't dismiss that. You can be sure that you belong to Christ, that you've been raised, if, if you believe in that good news that Christ died for your sins and that he was raised to life to give you a future and to redeem your work here in the present. I'd like to wrap up this morning just by asking you to, just to close your eyes for a moment uh, just so you can uh, just have a moment of, of privacy, some space to think. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I, I just want you to think for a moment. For those of you who are connected to Christ and, and you've made that commitment to Him, I'd just like you this morning to wrestle with this question for a moment. The question is, what do I need to continue doing that I've been tempted to quit? Because it just seems like I'm really not making a difference. maybe some of you are there now. Maybe you've been serving in your neighborhood, in your community. Uh, Maybe you've been serving Christ through Journey Church. Maybe you're saying, you know what I'm doing doesn't seem to make a difference, and I'm I'm ready to quit. By the way, I'm not talking about uh, changing strategies. Sometimes we have to stop doing some things and and pursue a different strategy, and and that's fine. I'm talking about people who are ready to give up and, and ready to check out. And if you're there this morning, would you make that commitment to Christ right now as one of his children that you are going to continue to serve faithfully, even though you don't see how your work is making a difference, but you'll do that in faith that that God will use that. I want to talk to a second group of you. If you're here this morning and, and you're not connected to Christ or if you're not sure and maybe you're exploring Christianity and trying to figure out who Jesus is, I want to encourage you that you can be sure that you're connected to Christ and that you will be raised in the future to a new life. And that because of that resurrection, that what you're doing in the presence makes a difference. That can be true of you if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You see, this relationship, this connection to Christ is not because we, we try harder and we, uh, we do more good works than bad works. You know, we could never do enough to earn God's favor, but the good news is we don't have to. Christ has done it for us by dying on the cross, by being raised to life. And so God can offer you his gift of eternal life, his gift of a relationship with himself if you put your faith in him. And you might say today, well, well how do I do that? Well, it's simply a commitment that you make to, to God. And, and even in your own heart, right where you're seated, you can cry out to him and say something like this. You can say, God, I, I understand that even though I'm a good creation of yours, that, uh, that I've sinned like everybody else in the human race. And that separated me from you, but God, right now i'm 'm I'm turning to jesus I'm, I'm turning from my past life and'm I'm, I'm trusting him in his death and in his resurrection to be made right with you. And if you do that today, the Bible says that, that you'll have that right standing before him. Now let me ask you to do this. Everybody's still got their eyes closed and, and just uh, uh, reflecting. If you've made that commitment today for the first time, I'd love to have you just, just raise your hands so that that all know that kind of a, a way of, of making that commitment and and I'll, I'll pray for you. Uh, so if you've made, if you've taken that step today, great. See one person who's done that. Uh, any others this morning? Great. Someone else? Oh, that's wonderful. Way to go. That, that's the greatest decision you can make in your life. Uh, any others today? Let me encourage you, if you've taken that step, and we had several last night that did, please come and talk to someone here at Journey. John Oakland, who was up here. Uh, any, anyone here and, and the worship team, one of the pastors back at Guest Central. And they can help you uh, continue to take steps because you're beginning a whole new journey. Let me pray for all of you. Father, I thank you for the gift of eternal life that you give us through your Son. Jesus, who died for us and who was raised to life for us so that we can have a right standing before you. Father, thank you for your indescribable gift. And I pray that that gift will shape the way that we live our lives as followers of Christ. Lord, thank you for those who committed this morning, uh, who who have begun this new life by putting their faith in Christ. Lord, thank you for them. I pray that you'll help them as they move ahead. Father, again, thank you for your indescribable gift. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.